You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. There's a, uh, there's a story that was reported on about 20 years ago of a, of a man named Tomas Martinez. Tomas was a homeless man. He was living in Bolivia at the time, and he made his way by selling scraps that he found on the street. Tomas had earlier in his life, he'd written some bad checks, um, and he had fled from the law. And currently in his life, Tomas was a drug and an alcohol addict. One day, the, uh, the police uh, showed up. They were, they were looking for Tomas. And so whenever the police showed up, Tomas doing what someone would do kind of with his past and present decision-making, Tomas ran. He ran, he fled, he took off. But actually, the reason the police had shown up to talk to Mr. Martinez was that it turns out that Tomas was actually the heir, had been named the inheritor to a, to a distant relative or a, a, a long, had not seen relative's, uh, relative's inheritance to the tune of about $6 million. <clears throat> and Tomas, completely unaware of this possible inheritance, he, uh, he took off and he disappeared without a trace and they never found him. And because he couldn't possibly imagine this inheritance that was waiting for him. And we hear a story like that and we, you know, it's, for us, it's, it's sort of this like humorously disappointing. You know, we hear about something like that and we, and we go, oh man, if, if only he knew what it is he was missing out on. I mean, I, for those of us who are here in the room and those who are joining us online, there are probably not too many of us who don't think their life might be a little bit better with $6 million. But Tomas took off, unaware of the inheritance that was there for him. And what if I told you that here in the room and listening online, there are many Tomas Martinez's right now. That there are many people who, because of past bad decisions that they've made or their, their present condition, are running away from an incredible inheritance. For the last several weeks, we have been studying together in the book of Galatians. And to bring you up to speed a little bit on that book, uh, Galatians was written by a man named Paul. And Paul, it previously in his life, was the ultimate do-good guy for God. If God had laid out laws, and he had laid out a bunch of them, if you go and read the Old Testament, there were over 600 laws that he had given his, his Jewish people to follow Paul was the guy to get it done. Paul was the guy who was living these laws out better than anybody. And one day, Paul met someone named Jesus. And it changed everything for him. Because Jesus helped Paul understand that the the point of the law was never to make you what it is that you're supposed to be. The point of the law was never to be able to fix you. The point of the law was just to help you understand how messed up you really are. The law was like a mirror. If I hold up a mirror to you, it can show you everything about you that looks messed up, but it can't do anything to fix it. 
And that's why we needed Jesus. As Paul has been writing in the book of Galatians, Jesus came to do what it is that we couldn't do for ourselves because he was the son of God. He came to live the perfect life that we could never live. He was able to fulfill all of the law and then he died on our behalf. He died for us, gave up his life so that we could receive that, so that if we trusted in him that we wouldn't be judged by how well we keep the law, which, spoiler alert, it's not well, but that we would be judged by the fact that we had placed our trust in Jesus. And so in the book of Galatians, Paul is, he's written this letter because after Paul had came and, and taught this incredible news to these people, there were other teachers who had come in after Paul and who had said, hey, yeah, Jesus, Jesus is great. Jesus is the best. But by the way, you still need to keep all of the law. Like you still need to do all of these things that it says that, that you're supposed to do if you really want to have a, the, the right relationship with God. And so Paul has spent this, this letter in Galatians. He spent this entire ye letter yelling at the Galatians. Seriously, if you go back and look, he wrote it all in caps lock, like he was yelling. Um, he's yelling at the Galatians. He's saying, you don't need anything else. You're not saved by anything else. All you need is Jesus. Jesus is all you need. You don't need anything else. He's done everything that you needed to have done. You, your, your works, the good things you do, they can't save you. you Matt, Matt spent last week talking about this word justification. It's this legal term. And Jesus trying to say, like in, in God's high heavenly court, if he's there, you know, in his black robe, and I like to imagine him in one of those old timey white wigs. And, and if he's there sitting on his, on his bench, you can't go in there and be declared not guilty by the things that you do because we're guilty. We're lawbreakers. If you've ever lied, everybody, if you've ever stolen something, if you've ever had angry thoughts towards someone or lustful thoughts about someone, all of these different things, you're a lawbreaker. I'm a lawbreaker. We are guilty. But because of what Jesus did, because he died for you, you can be justified. You can walk up to God's heavenly court with the robe and the white wig and, and he's gonna look at you and he's gonna slam his gavel down and he's gonna declare you not guilty because of what Jesus did for you. And so Paul, he, th this is what the entire book of Galatians is about. And Galatians chapter four, starting in verse four, says this. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us, for us, who were slaves to the law. Now everybody who checked out because it was recap time, come back because this is where we're going today. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out to him, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. 
See, there's this great blessing of the gospel. That's the word that we use to talk about all that Jesus has done for us. There's this great blessing in the gospel that we are justified, that we are declared not guilty before God who is our judge. But the blessing of the gospel, it comes with this incredible gift. That the judge doesn't just look at you and declare you not guilty and usher you out of his courtroom. He looks down at you and says, hey, you wanna come over for dinner? <laughs> and not just as some guest or as some outsider, but to adopt you and invite you into his own family. He wants to take you fishing and to go get your nails done. And, and, and he's not just in adopting you as like, you know, just kind of some child as one of his kids. He is adopting you as a full heir and inheritor to him. And did I mention that this judge, this, this person that you're gonna be inheriting from is also the king of the universe? That everything is inside of his hands, that ultimately everything is under his control? And that Romans 8 tells us that we are no less than co-heirs with Christ in our inheritance. Let that sink in for a second. We are not saved by any of the things that we do. We don't stay in a, in a relationship with God because of the things that we have done or the things we have continued to do. We are blessed in that we are declared not guilty because of what Jesus did. But there is this incredible gift that has been given to us. And it's that we are not slaves to the law. We are heirs to the king. So many of us, like a Tomas Martinez, are running away from an inheritance that we've been given because we're too busy still focused on our past mistakes or presently trying to somehow work to earn it. And so really, we're just gonna spend this morning kind of breaking down that idea of not being slaves to the law, being heirs to the king, to God, and the first thing I wanna unpack for us today is this idea that God is our father. Now, if you're, if you're new to church or if you're new around uh, maybe Christianity, then maybe that's a foreign idea for you. But if you have been around uh, th this faith at all, you're probably, you've heard that idea before about God being a heavenly father. Or, or maybe you've even, you've even spoken the words, you know, our father who art in heaven, you know, as you're reciting the Lord's prayer in the King James version, like all good Christians do. And what does that mean? Well, I, I thought maybe it would help if I sort of translated it, sort of brought it into sort of a more modern context. So this is the translation, kind of the modern translation that I have for us. If you guys wanna go ahead, put that up on the screens for me. Um, God is our father. What that means is that God is our dad. I know, like I should translate professionally, right? <laughs> Here's, we, we, we treat it like it is this high, holy thing. God is our father and we should because God is holy. He is worthy of our worship. We should treat him with reverence. But Paul here, when he's saying that we have been adopted as children and that God is our father, what he's saying is that God is our dad. 
And I know the hangup that a lot of us can have when we get to this spot whenever it comes to our faith is that the only frame of reference we have for what a dad is, is our own earthly dads. And you don't have to be in professional ministry or be a professional counselor to know that a lot of us have had some pretty crummy dads. Dads who were overly critical, nothing you could do was ever good. Dads who were so busy with work all the time, it's like they were just never present. Or dads who were maybe there physically, but they were emotionally distant from you and they were quicker to tell you to just suck it up and move on than they were to maybe listen to the hurts that you were trying to share with them. And some of you, I know, I know your stories. You had a dad who just took off and he wasn't a part of your life at all. I am so sorry about how your earthly father has given you a broken view of what your heavenly father wants to be. And this is a complete side note, but to those of us dads in the room, what you are doing right now, the father you are being right now is shaping your child's view of who God is. We can't ever lose sight of that. God wants to be our dad in a way that the best earthly dads could only ever hope to be. He's not overly critical. You might say, well, what about all of the laws and what about all the rules in the Bible that I'm supposed to keep? He sent his son to die to free you from their chains. He is a God who is very present in your life. He is with you and he cares about what you're going through. He's not the kind of dad that just tells you to suck it up or just get over it whenever you're hurting. He's with you. But he's also not gonna leave you just wallowing in your pain and your disappointment. He's the kind of dad that picks you up and helps you get going again. He's the kind of dad that supports us in ways that we don't even realize. He provides for us in ways that, that we don't even recognize he's providing for us. Like little kids, they, they have this roof over their heads and, and food just magically appears on the table in front of them and they don't realize all of the hard work that their mom and their dad put in to make that happen. That's the kind of God, dad that God is for us. That's why Paul, as he is describing who our father God is, he uses this word, Abba. It's this intimate term that, if you'll allow me to translate a little bit further, God our father, God our dad, Paul is saying God is daddy. And because we have this daddy God, he's calling us to this level of close relationship. I am, I am already mourning the day that my kids stop calling me daddy. They're little, so I get it a lot right now, but I know the day is coming where they're, they're not gonna say that anymore. I'm just trying to soak in every one of them that I can. Daddy, can you give me a drink of water? Daddy, will you play a game with me? Daddy, I'm so glad you're home from work. I love you, Daddy. 
Because of what Jesus has done for us, God wants to adopt us into this kind of close relationship as a fully adopted heir of the king. And it's because he is our dad, because he is our daddy, God, that that we've gone from being slaves to the law to being full-on inheritors and heirs of this king, children of God. And I I do want to say a quick word about, about that word slaves that Paul uses because I know that that is a loaded word, especially in the United States of America. We have, as a part of our history, incredible wickedness surrounding the word slave, where there were people who were created in God's image that we treated like animals because of the color of their skin. God forbid we ever treat someone an iota less than the value that God places on them because of the color of their skin ever again. Slavery in Paul's day was a very different system. It was a financial arrangement. It's something that that I would make an arrangement with you, maybe I or my family owed you a debt and we couldn't pay it. And so we would enter into this financial arrangement where I would work for you until that debt had been paid off. Now, it wasn't like modern day employment exactly because I couldn't just leave if I didn't like the way things were going, but it was not the dehumanizing system that a lot of us think of when we hear the word slave. And so that's why, because I don't want us to miss what Paul is saying here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use the word servant a little bit more um, as we break this down. I'm gonna use, use that terminology But there is a massive difference, a massive difference between being somebody's servant and being somebody's child. I mean, I want you to just think about the rules for for a servant versus a child. When you set the rules for an employee, they are expectations that are being set entirely for the boss's benefit. Any rules that I lay down, I'm laying down for my servants or my employees because they are best for me. Now, this is gonna be a silly example, but if I were a boss and I made it a rule that my employees were not allowed to play in the street, like, they're grownups, they can do what they want, but if I make that as a rule for my employees, that is for my benefit. Like, I don't want them putting a bad face on my company. I definitely don't need them, you know, causing me to have to deal with some sort of lawsuit or some kind of workers' compensation claim. I make that rule because it's best for me. Rules are completely different when they're for your child. When a good parent makes a rule for a child, it's because that instruction is what's best for them. I make these rules, I put these guardrails in place because I love you, I care about you, I want you to grow up and I want you to thrive and I don't want you to grow up to be some sort of selfish, horrible person. And so I put these things in place to help with that. If I make a rule that you aren't allowed to play in the street, it's because you're my child and I love you and I want what's best for you and I know about dangers, I know about things that you're unaware of. 
And I'm gonna help you with that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you fulfill that instruction in your life. I'm gonna give you training. I'm gonna, I'm gonna provide the safeties because I care about you so much. It's completely different. And that's the change that Paul is so desperate for us to understand about our relationship with God. Now, what happens whenever you break the rules? Well, as a servant, as a servant, you can expect punishment. You're gonna be punished, and that's what there was under the law. Under the law, there was only punishment. I'm the boss, and if you break my rules, it's going to cause difficulty for me, so I am going to punish you so that you don't do it again. I'm gonna punish you so that you don't cause more hardship for me. And if you keep doing it, then eventually I'm just gonna remove you from my employment, I'm gonna kick you out on the street, and then you're not gonna have a way to support yourself. It's entirely different with a child. When a child breaks the rules, Yes, maybe there is some discipline. Yeah, there are usually some consequences with that, but they are for the sake of the child. It's so the child can learn and grow and mature. My, my son, a couple of years ago, he got a hold of a small key and he used that to create art, <clears throat> on the walls of one of the rooms of our house. And I know that it was him because he was just learning to write his letters at the time and he signed his name to it. <clears throat> was, I, was I disappointed that my son had done that? Yes. And were there consequences to help him understand that that's not the way that we take care of our, of our stuff? That's not the way we treat our property? Absolutely. Did I love him any less? Not for a second. Not in the least. That's the way God looks at us as his children. There may need to be some level of discipline. There may need to be some level of consequence whenever we do things that are really not in our own best interest, but he doesn't love us even the smallest amount less. Paul is desperate for us to understand this. One more comparison. I want you to think about the difference between the requests that might come from a servant versus those from a child. If a servant comes to their boss with a request, the only real motivation that a boss has to honor that request is if that request would be something in the boss's own benefit. Like, I may be willing to say yes to this, but only if I see how it has a positive impact on me. You know, even if you're requesting something like time off or something that's good for you, I'm still looking at that through the lens of, well, it's gonna mean you'll get rest and it's gonna mean you're gonna come back and you're gonna be a more productive employee for me. When it comes to the requests of a child, a good parent only needs to say no or wait if they know that the thing is gonna be harmful for the child or if they know that there's something better out there for the child or they know that the, there's a lesson that the child needs to learn in that. It is completely different that God, he, he sees the, 
He sees the bigger picture, so he wants to say yes for our benefit. But when he says no or when he says wait, it's because he sees the bigger picture and he knows what's best for you. I heard another preacher say it like this. He said, if you don't relate to God as a father, you don't understand Christianity very well at all. That doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. What it means is that you are just missing out on this incredible gift that you've been given in being a follower of Jesus. We're so used to having to earn things in this life. We're so used to the punishment that we receive for our failures that we are like Tomas Martinez. We're running away from what is an incredible inheritance that we have come into. We don't have to do anything to earn it. We don't have to worry about messing it up whenever we make mistakes. We can go to our dad for safety and for peace. We can go to him whenever we're hurting or whenever we have needs and we can know that he is fully capable of meeting all those needs and capable of taking care of us because he holds the universe in his hands. And the closer that we draw to him, the more that we're gonna receive this greatest gift, which is just more of our Father. First John chapter three, verse one says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We're not slaves to the law. We are heirs to the king. So you may wonder what difference should this make in our lives? How is knowing that, that Jesus died to buy our freedom from the law and to bring us in as adopted children of God, why is it important for us to understand that? Well, if we know that we've been purchased from slavery, we should now be living in freedom. If we've been made children of God, then it's okay for us to claim the inheritance that he's given to us. Living in freedom means that we get to be freed up from all of the religious have-tos. There are too many of us living in the have-tos. I have to go to church. Anybody get up this morning feeling like I have to go to church today or I have to read my Bible. I have to be a part of a life group or I have to serve in this ministry or I have to give. That's way too many have-tos to say that you're living in any kind of freedom. If you are living your Christian walk just trying to check off boxes of things you're supposed to do as a follower of Jesus, you're missing it. You're still trying to earn it. You're still trying to just, I don't know, you're following Jesus because you want to avoid hell or you want to avoid suffering and you're missing that the whole point of following Jesus is everything that he has given you in relationship because of it. Living in freedom means that I'm not doing these things out of obligation, I'm doing them out of affection. It means that I am going to be like my dad because he's just a really cool dad and he loves me so much. 
Kids want to be like good dads. Being a dad, being a father to my three kids is one of the most important things in my life. It is one of the responsibilities that I take more seriously than anything else God has given me to do. I try to be a really good dad. And sometimes I get it right. And a lot of times I see my kids wanting to be like me. This may, this may weird some of you out a little bit. I don't like jelly. <clears throat> so ever since I was a little kid, whenever it was time to have a PB and J, I had mine PB hold the J. <clears throat> My son loves peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But about a year ago, he recognized that I was not eating jelly on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so he stopped eating jelly on his peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He still likes jelly. He had some last week. He wanted to be like dad. He wanted to be like somebody who has shown the highest level of care and affection for him. I'm not trying to paint myself as some kind of like heroic dad. I know that my kids are young and I know that there will be seasons whenever my son grows up and he doesn't want to look like me very much. But what I want us to see is that we have a really good dad. God has shown us such love such care. He has provided for us so greatly that we don't need to follow him because we're obligated to, but because we have a great dad. And it's not about what I have to do, it's about what I get to do. I get to come and worship. I get to read my Bible and spend time with my dad. I get to talk to other people about my dad and tell them how great my dad is. My dad's better than your dad. I get to learn more about my dad. I get to be more like him. I get to serve other people like my dad does. I get to give the way that my dad gives. And it may not change very much about the things I do as a follower of Jesus, but it will change everything about the reason why you do them. Because of this love that I have for my great dad who has loved me so much. It's living in freedom. And it's not just about living in freedom and getting to be more like dad. It's about getting to claim my inheritance that, again, wasn't because of anything I did to deserve it, but that now as an adopted child of God, I have been given full rights to. As a follower of Jesus, you have inherited from the king. As a child of God, I can claim freedom from the guilt and the shame of sin. I don't have to be ruled by them anymore. It's my inheritance. As a child of God, I can claim freedom from fear and worry. My inheritance is that my eternity with Jesus is in heaven forever. I can claim as my inheritance freedom from the mundane and the meaningless existence that most people walk through because I have been given purpose in life by my dad. And that he has given me purpose 
So that whether I am working in a job or whether I'm going to school or whether I'm raising my kids or whether I am battling sickness, I am doing it all for his glory because he's my dad and I want more people to know about him. My inheritance, my inheritance is even to face hardship. Romans 8, when it tells us that we're co-heirs with Christ, it also says that we're co-heirs in his suffering. But that's a good thing because I get to be stronger. I get to grow stronger. And I get to grow closer to my dad when I go through just a little bit of what Jesus went through for me. I get to claim the inheritance that whenever I walk out the door every single day that I am an inheritor of Christ. I, my identity is wrapped up in who Jesus is and I am loved by my dad. I am cared for by my dad that I was worth dying for and that my dad has me well looked after and he is in control of everything. And I'm gonna spend as much time as I can following that God, worshiping that God, and learning about that God, and enjoying the creation that that God has given me, and enjoying the relationships that God has blessed me with, and working for that God, and doing what it is he's set out for me to do, and doing it all in the hope that that God has given me, that I will spend eternity resting in the loving arms of my Daddy God. If you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, all I would ask from you, my encouragement for you is this, that you would spend some time over the next few days trying to live in that truth, really trying to embrace the truth of who God wants to be in your life, that God would help you to trust what he has said, that you are an adopted child of God and an inheritor of the king. And that as you embrace that reality, you will find that your trust and that your peace and your joy and your excitement to do what it is that we've been called to do as followers of Jesus, you will find those grow as things like fear and the turmoil and the obligatoriness of religion just fade away. And if you are here with us today, or if you're listening online, and you haven't ever said you wanna be a follower of Jesus, your adoption is waiting. The papers are all drawn up. The work has all been done for you. He's just waiting for you to come and claim it. And you don't have to deserve it. None of us deserve it. He's done everything that needed to be done for it, and that's what makes him so good. Today, come and talk to a member of our Connect team. Don't leave here without learning more about what it means to connect with God who wants to be your father. Would you pray with me? Daddy God, we're so grateful, Lord, to get to learn from your word, to get to hear from Paul and the book of Galatians, and Lord, just hear him talk about adoption, to 
call us your heirs, heirs to the king. Can't hardly wrap my mind around it. Lord, I pray that we would walk out of this place in freedom. Lord, that we would just, that we would just bask in what it means to be your children. Lord, we don't deserve it. We can't deserve it. But you've given it to us anyway. You love us so much. And we can't mess that up because you love us so much. I pray that our worship to you now would be pleasing and it would be out of our understanding that you're a good dad and that we wanna be more like you. We give this to you now. It's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.